Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Thursday, March 21st, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. And then in our feature presentation, HT is going to explain why there is something cursed about the Wizarding World. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me in today's podcast is Slash Film Writers, Huaytran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Okay, let's dive into the news. Let's start off with, I think, the most interesting news story of the day, and that is that uh, MoviePass founder is going to start a new company that is going to allow us to go to the movies for free. Sounds like a great deal, Chris. I guess. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the, the founder of MoviePass uh, has is developing this new app called Pre-Show. There's a, there's a Kickstarter to launch it right now. And uh, as Peter said, it gives you an option to get free movie tickets by watching about 15 to 20 minutes of ads, which sounds, you know, relatively harmless and not even that different from going to the movies now. I mean, you know, you go to a movie theater now, there's at least like 10, 15 minutes of of commercials before there's about like a half hour of trailers. So, you know, it sounds like it's par for the course, but there is a Black Mirror-esque twist to this, which uh, some people may like, some people may find unsettling, and it's this. So um, <laughs> if, if you're thinking this is going to be like ads on TV where you can just let them play out as you, you know, get up and go away, that's not the case. There's, there's a technology in this app that scans your face and your eyes, basically, that to tell it that you're watching and you know if you you happen to look away from the screen for a certain amount of time the ads will literally just stop playing until you look back so basically this this thing is keeping track of your your facial movements which i personally find just a little unsettling because you know on on the surface it's 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 harmless but you know if you're going to start there where does it stop it just sounds like it, it's the first step towards some sort of Orwellian slash Black Mirror-esque nightmare that we're, we're going to realize it's here before it's too late. I feel like if I was a kid, I would love this idea because being able to spend 15 minutes looking at you know my phone 
and be able to get a, a free movie ticket out of it. Like I know when I was a kid, I had to work, you know, two hours uh, retail after taxes to get a movie ticket. So uh, that that seems like a lot less work, Chris. Like, I, I, am I missing how the overlords are gonna like 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 why why I mean, is this so well, bad? Well, first of all, we don't know what the ads are going to be for. Like, what if it's like fifteen minutes of <laughs> like join <laughs> the messaging? Like, you know, like join the army, join the marines. Like, there's like subliminal messaging about like you know the military industrial complex. We have no idea what these ads are gonna be like. <laughs> See, you're laughing, but that's a th- but like I, I think the whole key here is that like okay, uh, slash film, uh, the website we all write for is supported by advertising. Without advertising, we would not exist. Um, you know, we're able to provide all this content to for free to you, the reader, because of advertising. But I know that ad ad rates are going down a lot. We we are actually making a lot less than we used to with ads, and that's because people have become used to avoiding advertising. Like either, uh, you know, they have ad blocks or uh, they just ignore. Like you know, the placement of ads, um, they will you know just inst- instinctually ignore like a banner ad or something like that, and that's why you're seeing more obtrusive advertising not on slash film but on other websites where it just like pops up in the middle you know and takes over the screen and stuff like that that's because uh you know the advertisers if they're gonna pay for these ads they want to know that they're actually getting eyes on them so it seems to me like this whole thing is basically to to make it uh sustainable because otherwise, if it was just like 15 minutes of ads, like you could just play that and then put it down on the counter and not even look at it, right? Yes. And, you know, I should, you know, add that I'm not against advertising, especially because I want to <laughs> keep my job and make money. So I have nothing against advertising, yeah. but it's just it's just the fact that it's tracking your face that just makes me a little un- uneasy. I mean, there was literally a Black Mirror episode about this, the second episode of the first season, where, you know, people in this dystopian society have to ride these, like, exercise bikes while staring at a screen in order to earn currency. And, you know, uh, obviously... Oh, I love we're that not, episode. We're, like, you know, we're not there yet, obviously, but it's, like, you know, I just, I always think back to, like, Terminator 2, where Miles Dyson just thinks he's he's creating really cool tech, and then a robot from the future shows up to tell him he accidentally created judgment day. And he's like, Oh shit, I had no idea. And that's what I think of anytime something like this pops up where it's like, sure, it starts off seeming like a great thing, but you know, 20 years from now, we're all going to be blown up because of this somehow. But I feel like, you know, they aren't, recording our facial movements they're not like seeing like you know what part of the ads do we become distracted and like what is you know trying to you know i guess get gain insights they're basically just trying to make sure that we're watching the thing and already that's what they, know that's what they say yeah i mean for yeah. you know, look at like facebook facebook spent years lying to us making us think our data was safe and they were like saving all that like we have no idea what what this is going to lead to that's all i'm saying be cautious. But you mentioned that we're all in an email system that's owned by Google, and they're getting insight from every single email we send, send and receive. Uh, HT, is this something that you would be interested in, or is this not at all? I'm wary of it in the same way that Chris is. <laughs> I'm also just like I'm very afraid of the robot revolution. I my dad gave me an um, 
a Google Home, but I haven't even set it up because I'm I just don't like the idea of, <laughs> of personal assistant robots. I think that it's very uh, creepy. <laughs> There, there, there's a cool bit with a Google Home or Alexa thing in the new Jordan Peele movie. So I, I, I am excited for you guys to eventually see that. Um, there, uh, I don't know. I, I like. Okay, I am at a point in my life where I can't. That if I have the ability to, I will pay the extra money rather than see advertising. I pay for the Hulu, you know, account that doesn't have ads because I don't want to see the same ad ten times during one TV episode. And, um, you know, I even pay, I, I've said on this podcast, I pay for YouTube premium because I watch so much YouTube that I'd rather just avoid the ads altogether. So, I mean, I totally get that, but, um, I feel like if I was younger and I was, uh, had less disposable income, this would seem like a good deal to me. I mean, I, I, I don't think this is going to appeal to anybody that, you know, has a full-time job in any way, right? Like, so, like, it's not like they're going to be able to take over the world in any significant way. They're they're basically targeting lower-income folk. Yeah. I mean, I do think it is a good idea, and I, it, it does sound appealing apart from, like, a, the technology. But I do wonder whether it's sustainable or not. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical of that, too. I mean, who, who, as I mentioned, Hulu can't even get enough, you know, advertising for one episode of tv i don't know how they're gonna find you know what 15 different advertisers to pay to advertise to you know their subscribers to this whatever this uh, pre-show is um how horrifying would horrifying would that be chris if you had to watch the same like 30 second tv advertisement over and over again for 15 minutes uh, I mean, that's pretty much what Hulu is now. My plan, yeah. where I, I have the I have the, the, the commercials, and they play the same yeah. like Aldi commercial every <laughs> single time, and it drives me insane. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about the Invisible Man. Uh, they're remaking that, and it turns out that it it might have a gender bent twist to it. HD, what do we know? That's a big maybe. Uh, so earlier this month, it was reported that Elizabeth Moss um, might be attached to star in the upcoming Universal remake of The Invisible Man, but might be The Invisible Woman, uh, based on some of her coy statements addressing whether or not she's been cast. So she said, quote, I would say I don't think I'll be re replacing Johnny Depp necessarily. I can say that. But I think it's an incredible story that maybe needs to be re retold, but maybe with a woman. Um, so she is, uh, she says, continue saying coy things like that. And, um, we, it's currently, uh, slated to be directed by Lee Winnell. Um, and, um, she, uh, Elizabeth Moss didn't confirm whether she was set to star, but her statements do sort of suggest that maybe it might be gender bent, but we still know very little about this for now. Wait, could you still call it the invisible man if it's about an invisible woman? Probably not, but... <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's not like people would get the uh, yeah. the IP if it, they renamed it the Invisible Woman. Mrs. Invisible, it will be called. <laughs> Chris, I know you're the most invested here for the like, you know, the Universal Monster kind of stuff. What do you think about this? Uh, I love this idea. I mean, if you're going to cast Elizabeth Moss, I'd much rather she be the lead instead of like the Invisible Man's girlfriend. Like that would just be her wife or whatever. That yeah. would be like a waste of her talent. I love this idea. I, I love uh, Lee Waddle. So I, I have high hopes for this. But Chris, if she's the lead, we don't get to see her. 
Oh, that's true. Well, she has a uh, she has a nice voice, so it'll be fine listening yeah. to her voice. I'm just picturing like, are there gonna be like angry, invisible man fanboys now? Like, oh, I can't believe they swapped the gender of the invisible man. My grandfather's childhood is <laughs> <was> ruined. <laughs> Okay, um, let's talk about uh, something else. Let's, let's move on to Force Gump 2. There was a Force Gump sequel that was in development, and uh, it was abandoned after 9-11 happened. Uh, Chris, tell us about this batshit crazy idea for a sequel. Boy, everything about this story is is nuts, even leading up to the, the 9-11 ending. Just everything about it is, is strange. So Eric Roth who wrote the first Forrest Gump and he won uh, an Oscar for it actually did an interview recently. And uh, the, the, the concept of Forrest Gump two came out and he revealed, he actually wrote a, a whole script for it and he turned the script in on September 10th, the day before nine 11. And um, you know, he said it was canceled. The movie basically was canceled because of nine 11 after, you know, after nine 11 happened, they just decided there was no reason to make the movie. Um, the, the America had changed uh, so drastically and so on. But even without that, this script uh, is sounds utterly insane because he, he, he dropped some details about it. First of all, the movie starts off with um, Forrest Gump's son, the son he had with uh, Jenny, Robin Wright's character in the first film. It's revealed that uh, he has AIDS because Jenny died of AIDS. And right away, it's like, is this really... How you you want to start your movie with Forrest Gump's kid having AIDS, and then that's so uh, depressing. It is, and then he said Eric Ross says he ties the AIDS thing into like desegregation, where oh, no, we're like because apparently when they when the son finds out he has AIDS is around the time when desegregation is happening, and they make apparently a joke about it. How Forrest thinks they don't want his kid in school because of. AIDS. I don't know. It just sounds really so it's bad. It's another like seats taken scene. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's not, it's not good. And then <laughs> from there, it just gets a stranger where Forrest becomes a ballroom dancer for some reason and he dances with Princess Diana. And then at one point, he ends up in the back of uh, OJ Simpson's Bronco <laughs> during the big chase. And then uh, I almost later... want to read the script to find out how they explain I, that. I, I am curious to like lay eyes on this bonkers script. And then um, uh, later in the film, uh, Forrest befriends a Native American woman. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, it's just like reading this. It's like breaking my brain. So uh, eventually she, uh, she the, the Native American woman he befriends teaches a nursery oh, school no. inside the Oklahoma City building that was part of the Oklahoma sitting bombing. And he says there was a shot where Forrest is sitting on a bench waiting for her to, to meet her for lunch. And the building is in the background and the building explodes. And it's like, why would you put that in your movie? This is so upsetting. I don't, I don't think anyone would like this and I'm glad it was never made. You know, it, I haven't seen Forrest Gump in, you know, probably a decade at this point. But most of the situations Forrest found himself in were kind of like these fun situations. I, I mean, I guess, you know, the war is not fun. Yeah, like Vietnam. But... And I mean, you know, there's like yeah, Vietnam is like the only really. But he was part of a thing. terrorist attack in like, like, you know, one of the most notable uh, suspected murders on the run. I don't know. 
this just seems like a bad idea from start to finish. This is like the Gremlins 2 of Forrest Gump, where it, it takes the first movie and just makes it really weird and dark. HT, would you have watched this Forrest Gump sequel? Um, no. When Chris was describing all of those things, I had like a visceral reaction to it. God, it sounds just... If the first movie, while like it took a light hand to a lot of all those events, if it was... the insensitive to sort of racial and social issues throughout history before this just like i don't know takes a sledgehammer to them yeah it's like i mean even before chris finishes his sentence when he's like and then he befriends an african-american woman i'm like (laughs) like oh no where is this going um you know, in my intro, I was almost going to say, thankfully, this was canceled because of 9-11, but I didn't want to make a joke about 9-11. But, uh... Yeah, it's hard to say. <laughs> when, I was actually, when I wrote this story, I originally had in the opening, thankfully, we were spared this movie, and then I realized that's probably wrong word to yeah. use because we, yeah. I can't, we can't thank 9-11, but I am thankful this was not made. Yeah. We may be in the darkest timeline, <laughs> but at least we're not in the timeline where Forrest Gump 2, two. was made. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Although, although if anybody has the script for Forrest Gump 2, please send it to peter at slashfilm.com. I'd love to uh, to read some of it. I would love to, to, to have a good laugh. Okay, uh, let's move on to another movie that isn't being made and probably will never get made. And this is the abandoned Gambit movie that Rupert Wyatt was going to direct. Um, and he compared it to The Godfather. H.A., what is going on here? Yeah, when uh, Rupert Wyatt signed on to First Helm Gambit in 2015, he had a very ambitious vision for his uh, version of Gambit. And that would have been, quote, the godfather with mutants. So he was imagining something that was uh, set in the 70s. It was going to be set in New Orleans with uh, various gangs and mutant gangs and uh And he says, quote, tribalism in this Bayou-like environment. (laughs) Uh, So there's um, definitely something there. Uh, He, you know, a lot of people tried to ape uh, The Godfather because it's a time-honored American classic. And it would definitely have been a new superhero genre to take on. Yeah, I don't think we've seen kind of like the superhero heist. I mean, I guess they were pitching Avengers uh, Infinity War as like a heist. I mean, I guess Ant Man was kind of a with heist. Ant-Man, yeah, 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 but not in like seventies. I don't know. That would have been interesting. I wonder if if we'll ever get something like that from Marvel Studios. But now that you know Disney has purchased Fox, I don't think we'll ever see this Gambit movie. Never mind Rupert Wyatt's version of Gambit movie. I, I just don't think we're going to see a Gambit movie in you know this timeline. So so I think it's time to move on. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Masters of the Universe. This is the movie based on the He-Man franchise. They're rebooting it, and uh, they have done some casting. Chris, who is going to play Prince Adam? Uh, Noah Centineo from to all to from all the what is it to? It's Noah Centineo. So to net, thank you, thank you, HT. (laughs) And 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 what? Who to all the boys I loved before? Right, that's the title of the thing. All right. Thank you, HT. What would I do without you? Um, Yes, he's been cast, and that's very strange casting because he just does not strike me as someone to play He-Man. I mean, the the first live-action He-Man was Dolph Lundgren, which is about as different from this actor as you can get. But it it does make me wonder 
if they're taking sort of like a comedic approach here because the directors are uh, Aaron and Adam Nee and they've only really done indie comedies. So I'm really curious if they're taking sort of like a somewhat humorous approach to this and that's why they've casted this actor, but maybe I'm wrong. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder what the take is on this. I feel like this bit of casting only excites like HT out of this group. (laughs) I am Uh, excited about it. Yeah. Um, Noah Centineo is priming himself up to be this new generation's heartthrob. And uh, this is interesting to me because He-Man has never really been a heartthrob type of character. And I don't really know. And Noah Centineo seems to be very aware, too, of like his heartthrob status and playing that up a lot um, with his interviews and image. So I wonder what he's trying to do here. Is he trying to branch out? Is this He-Man's trying going to be something a little bit more different, a little bit more uh, suave than we're used to? So who knows? It's just kind of um, a bunch of little elements that don't really mix well together but i am excited that noah centineo is doing big things because he's a cutie yeah i i just don't know if i have any faith in this there's just been so many filmmakers involved trying to get this off the ground i mean a comedy take could be interesting uh we'll have to see okay let's move on to our last story and that is netflix is developing a three musketeers movie ht what do we know so Netflix has picked up a pitch from Harrison Query uh, to adapt Alexandre Dumas' uh, classic tale, The Three Musketeers. This will be produced by Eric Newman and Brian Unkelis, Screen Arcade, and uh, Scott Glasgold. And uh, this will be a feature film that will has presumably been described as Mission Impossible in tone. Uh, that's all we know about it for now. But uh, this will be the latest of many Three Musketeers adaptations that we've seen in the screen. Um, the most recent being in 2011, which I which I had totally forgot about. But um, wait, which one uh, was the 2011 one? Um, that was the one with Logan Lerman, I think. Yes. And the Orlando Bloom, isn't he in that too? Yeah, hmm. Matthew McFadden, Logan Lerman. Ray Stevenson, and it was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. Oh, that one. Pop punk elements. Well, this one's going to be like a, they're taking like a Mission Impossible type take on Three Musketeers. Is that correct? Yes, Mission Impossible style. So, whatever that means. I guess sort of a uh, thriller slash heist, speaking of heist. Um, so we're not really, yeah, I mean, I guess that could kind of fit the Musketeers. They've been adapted to so many types of genres before. But I mean, when I think of Three Musketeers, and I'm not a fan of those movies or the books, but I think of the hats, like the big hats, I think of the sword fights. And I feel like if you're setting this in modern day and you're trying to make it more Mission Impossible sleek, you have none of the things... I mean, I guess you could do swashbuckle, uh, swashbuckling in a modern way. Chris, do you, do you have any ideas here? I didn't even realize it was modern day. No, that's that's. Um, I don't know what that's going to be, uh, unless they're just going to have them wearing those big hats and using swords in present day, which I would actually like to see. So please make that happen. Yeah. Well, anyways, it's coming to Netflix. Look out for that. Uh, lastly, I want to talk about a feature that HT wrote up Earlier this week, uh, it, the the title of the feature was There's Something Cursed About Harry. The Wizarding World's Growing Pains Highlight a Franchise and Awkward Transition. So 
I guess the question here, HD, is like, what is going on with the Wizarding World, and why? Why does it? Why like the thing that we all loved? Why does it seem like it's uh, diminishing in our hearts? Well, um, this is a piece that kind of came about when I had seen uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child on Broadway, and uh, I then went to see Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, and I was questioning why I enjoyed so much The Cursed Child despite not really enjoying the play and hated very much The Crimes of Grindelwald. Yeah. And I realized that there is sort of a dichotomy going on between the early um, tone of Harry Potter, which was more whimsical and fanciful, and the more dark, grim, world-building elements that J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers are trying to install to build to build out this franchise and uh, appeal more to adults. And the thing is, like, Harry Potter has always been a series in transition, but it's never been able to sort of consolidate those two things. And with when you try to build this world by just, like, adding trivia and adding elements after the fact, it just kind of is already on, like, a shaky foundation because it just doesn't work that way. The world-building, like, approach just is not... Um, fully uh, thought out and uh, that's why it's starting to suffer because of it and losing the magic and the appeal of what made Harry Potter so um, enchanting in the first place. But I feel like, I, I don't know, it, it, it seems like she's waffling on what she wants to even do. Like, I, I know we're, we're supposed to think of J.K. Rowling as, you know, the creator of this world who has this grand plan that, like, you know, she's making how many of these Fantastic Beast movies? They were supposed to be five, um, but we don't know if that will be the case anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I heard promises of, like, you know, Wizarding World schools and in the United States. I was excited to see that. And then this one kind of went back to Hogwarts, which was fun. But then I wanted more of Hogwarts and not so much the rest of the movie. Like, yeah. why? Like, what is she doing? Well, the thing is, Fantastic Beasts kind of came into a weird time in which the world was starting to become more progressive and kind of aware of all of these other issues. Whereas when like Harry Potter first came out, it was like it was I won't say it was less aware then, but it was definitely like set in like its own corner. It didn't really have to deal with like representation and, and LGBT, LGBT issues. And in J.K. Rowling trying to fold those into her franchise, it just ends up feeling like pandering versus actually being something that's part of the world. So like one thing that, for example, that a lot of people wait, took wait. issue with recently was when she talked about how uh, Dumbledore and Grindelwald had an intense sexual relationship. But it's something that we'll, of course, never see in the movies or will never be referenced in the books because something that's added after. And it feels like something that's done in a way to kind of pay lip service to, but not actually like build the world. And I feel like that's what a lot of the Harry Potter quote unquote world building is now. It's just kind of lip service and trying to do something that will like sound appealing on the surface, but doesn't actually, you know, help build that world out. You don't think there's any chance we'll ever see those two casts on the big screen? Which ones? Harry Potter and... No, Dumbledore and uh, oh. Grindelwald. I mean... It seems like they are um, <laughs> just uh, un, un, not. They're not eager to like show them on. Yeah. It, it's funny because like they were 
they were very like obviously in, in the Crimes of Grindelwald did not really want to show a relationship between between the two of them, but they had that one scene in the Mirror of Error said that was like the most sensual scene, despite them kind of tiptoeing around it. Yeah. So it's something that exists, but they like don't really want to straight up acknowledge, which is the thing I think a lot of fans find the most frustrating. I feel like the problem with this is that um, Harry Potter was such a perfect series to grow up with as fans of the books. And um, it's a very unusual series in that it's after it ended, it's kind of kept going. And um, it's something that's just like keeps getting revised and tweaked. And like it is in, and in doing so, it just kind of starts losing whatever made it so special in the first place. Yeah, um, I, I agree. And I think it's also about the expanding. I mean, you mentioned the world building and I do like mm -hmm. the world building of Harry Potter. But I feel like once you get too far outside of Hogwarts, like it, it becomes a lot less interesting and it becomes a lot less like you have a lot more questions. Uh, Chris, I know you haven't seen the most recent Fantastic Beasts movie, right? No, I haven't seen any of the Fantastic Beasts oh. movies. I didn't, I didn't even see the, the first one. But you saw the Harry Potter films? Yes. Um, why were you not interested at all in seeing the Fantastic Piece films? Uh, I don't know. It, they just didn't look that great to me. I don't know. I'm a big fan of letting things end. And I am apparently the only one who feels that way anymore because it just seems like anytime there's any sort of uh, intellectual property, uh, to use a, a marketing term, that you know, people don't want to let it go. And I feel like, you know, Harry Potter as a, as a story, it concluded, it, it did what it needed to do and to just keep going with it. And especially to go back in time just seems like it's literally taking a step backwards. Like I could see maybe, you know, going forward into the, you know, the future, but to, to go back to, you know, stuff that technically already happened, it just seems like, it just seems like the, the, you know J.K. Rowling is spinning her wheels, and I, I kind of wish she would hand this off. If it's going to continue, I wish she would hand it off to someone else because, you know, no offense to her, obviously she created this world and she, you know, she clearly knows it in some capacity, inside and out. But I feel like it's time to give it to someone else who could actually bring something fresh and new to it instead of just leaving it entirely in her hands. Like she didn't write. The scripts for all the the Harry Potter movies, did she? I, I don't recall no, that. No. Yeah, so I feel like those films they benefited from having you know outsider influence, whereas she's the one writing all these scripts. And uh, you know, I feel like uh, you know, in order for this to grow, it, it needs a new voice. As as weird as that sounds, but no, that, that's... I, I completely agree with you because I think that she has kind of done everything that she's needed to do to provide like this this world. And um, it does like to fill in the corners. I feel like that's in the jobs of either more writers or the fans even and be able to just kind of figure out where where the world goes from there. Whereas like when she comes back to to like revise and try to build her world up more, it just kind of comes off as like kind of changing the canon to fit today's like standards but we should mention right. that I, I, like harry potter and the cursed child the play is basically not written by her and kind of does what you guys are saying and i think comes off as fan fiction it doesn't feel the story was by her the she... story i don't know i've heard yeah 
I mean, I, I really think like the best example of this, and I know people will be angry with me for using this example, but I think like Star Wars is the best example because <sighs> Chris, you don't look bring at the, up Star Wars. <laughs> look, like all I'm gonna say is uh, I know there's been some retrofitting now that people think the Last Jedi is the worst movie ever made, but I distinctly remember when the prequels came out and they were bad movies, and they're still bad movies, and you know those films were all in George Lucas's hands, and then the minute you know the franchise was handed off to someone else, you know, namely JJ Abrams and company. It became something, it felt fresh again, even though, you know, uh, the force awakens is in a sense, retelling a new hope. There still feels something fresh and new about it. And last Jedi feels really fresh and new, whether you like it or not. And that's more exciting to me than just having the same person retread their steps over and over again. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know what how to how to figure out this problem because it seems like Warner Brothers wants to make more of these movies. You know, uh, they have a deal with Universal Studios who have built Wizarding Worlds and uh, a bunch of their theme parks, and those are insanely popular. Uh, there's talk that they're going to build, uh, you know, a Ministry of Magic uh, expansion for the Universal Park in Florida. They're, you know, so they're, they're going to need movies to propel people to these things or maybe even TV shows. You know, Warner Brothers is having their streaming service coming out and there has been, you know, rumors that there could be a Harry Potter involvement there. Maybe, maybe that's a more interesting direction to go in because I feel like the Harry Potter books as a whole were – very large and the movies themselves were such a slice of what you got from the books mm -hmm. um it, it would i think it would be good to give you know that world like a, a more time with these characters if that makes sense mm -hmm. no um, i actually totally agree with you i think i and a lot of fans would actually like to see the books uh, get another adaptation in the TV um, TV screen because yeah. that seems like a medium that they're almost better suited for because it takes place over a whole year and it's almost a little formulaic and episodic in that way. And um, that would be really interesting to see and you get to see more of like the moments and the character, the character building that like you sometimes miss out on in the movies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you want to read HT's full article, you can find it on SlashFilm.com. I will link it in the show notes along with the news stories we talked about today. Uh, you can find more of all of our work uh, at SlashFilm.com. You can find this podcast, SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, or s scripts for Forrest Gump to to peter at slash home.com that's peter at slash home.com and please go on over to our itunes page give us a five-star rating uh write us a couple sentences uh we will see you tomorrow with another episode of the podcast thank you for listening <laughs>